Welcome to Drinks at Work by Boothby with Sam Bygrave, that's me. This is a show about how you can go about building a creative and rewarding career in and around the world of drinks. And my guest on this episode is Ryan Chetty-Awardener. You may have heard of him. The London-based bartender and creative is behind the Mr. Lion group of venues, which began in 2013 with White Lion in Hoxton. He closed that in 2017 to launch two new venues in its place, Cub and Super Lion. In 2014, he launched Dandelion in London, before killing that venue as well in 2019 to relaunch it as Lioness, which incidentally is one of my favorite bars in the world. He moved Super Lion to Amsterdam in 2019 and launched Silver Lion in the US in Washington DC in 2020, just before the pandemic arrived. He's also recently opened Seed Library in Shoreditch. He's known for his creativity and an approach to bars and drinks that asks, why do we do it this way? And many of the trends that we've seen around the world in bars today have taken at least some inspiration from his experiments with White Lion and Dandelion some years ago. I think it's hard to understate the influence that these concepts have had in our global bartending world, so it's a pleasure to chat to him again for Drinks at Work. So, my chat with Ryan in a minute, but first, I want to take a minute to tell you about the Boothby Drink of the Year Awards. Entries are open now and they close on October 31st, and we're looking for the best drinks of the last 12 months and the bartenders behind them. We'll be counting down the top 50 drinks of 2022 and handing out three awards along the way. The People's Drink of the Year, presented by Orlando. The Drinks List of the Year, presented by the London Essence Co. And of course, the Drink of the Year, presented by Patron Tequila. It's simple to enter. Visit boothby.com.au slash drinkoftheyear to learn more. Okay, now onto my conversation with Ryan Chetty Awardener. Ryan Chetty Awardener, thanks for joining me on Drinks at Work from Boothby. Hey brother. Sam, it's always a pleasure. I've uh, been looking forward to this for a while. Uh, it's always some of my favorite chats with you, so this, is, this has been very exciting. Uh, you've got a number of bars from London to Amsterdam to Washington, D.C. now. Uh, you've got bottle cocktails in retail. You're an author as well with Good Things to Drink with Mr. Lion and Friends. And you're even on masterclass.com as a teacher of the cocktail arts. But briefly, for people who don't know you, um, how did you get to this place where you are now? And how did you... What's your origin story leading up to opening White Line in 2013? So, I mean, Brief. a lot of my background was kind of in, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm also not very good at being succinct, so I'm going to try and kind of abridge some of that background. But it was yeah. like loosely, it was kind of like food and then stumbling into drinks. And then, right. you know, I ended up kind of loving the, the, the kind of communal side of the way that food worked, but I wanted to talk to people. So kitchens didn't feel quite right for me. Whereas mm. the bar felt like instantly kind of like, well, the perfect place to be at home. And because I kind of jumped around a ton of different studies and I was looking at sciences and arts, I was, I was always trying to find something that felt like it, it kind of hit the middle ground of those two things. And mm. being in a bar, like particularly in the, the time I was in bars, there was so much change going on. I was able to, to kind of pull in different sides of those threads and have what felt like the perfect output whilst also mm. remaining you know, social and like fun. Um, and it felt like it was, you know, you, you, it instantly felt part of a community. And that to me was kind of an amazing thing to be part of. So, you know, I, I jumped around as much as I could. I just kind of had a thirst for trying to observe, absorb like, you know, every style of kind of venue. So, you know, I did dive okay. bars through the nightclubs, fine dining, um, yeah. hotels, little cocktail bars. And like, I, I loved all of it. And to me, they were, all of them kind of demonstrated different sides of, you know, how do we bring hospitality to life for people? How do we, you know, does it matter what they're coming out for? How do we have something that helps them feel like they're having a great time? Mm. And, you know, having ran all of those different venues for people and like worked on everything from, you know, running labs to 
running front of house to, you know, you know, everything but pretty much the management side of things. That was not my forte. <laughs> um, you know, it was uh, like, you know, all of it kind of pointed in the direction of going cool. It was lovely learning all these different sides. But I feel like there's there's still a heap of venues and like styles of, of, of service, of operating, of creativity that hadn't been explored. Right. So it was, um, you know, it kind of all pointed in the direction of, of opening our own place and okay. you know had the opportunity i was doing it with my sisters um you know they weren't part of hospitality and that was kind of part of the charm of it as well they were right. also trying to go why are venues pretty much all the same you know i remember yep. sitting down with natasha and karen and then being like why are we forced to listen to jazz why do we have to sit down <laughs> isn't the point of these drinks that they're meant to be fun and like I remember being in my, with my sister in a bar like there's some horror stories of like going through some of the finest cocktail bars and sure. you know having some pretty like you know being lectured on you know my sister even had it that she was told that she shouldn't order a Manhattan because she was a girl um, which my yeah. sister is is let alone the, the, the kind of ridiculousness of that statement but it was yeah. you know one of those ones that all of those things added up to us going there's got to be a different way of doing things Um, and you know, I learned a lot from, from them about the way that, um, you know, I didn't want to do things, you know, the way that I wanted to set up a business, have people kind of involved from a creative point of view, kind of like Mm. a different cultural outlook to what I had experienced in bars. Um, and at at the time, this is like the, uh, you know, uh, waistcoat, arm garters, a lot of that kind of very prohibition style of thing. Yeah. That was, that was was. the thing at the time. it, it really was. Well, and like, even when we were getting outside of some of that, it was all really serious. And yeah. it was pretty opaque to people. You know, I saw friends who weren't in the industry who'd be like, nah, man, I'm not going to a cocktail bar. It costs too much money or I'm going to get lectured. Or, you know, we literally <laughs> saw people on a date getting like told about the history of these classic cocktails. And I was like, come on, man. <laughs> like, that's not fun for anybody but us geeks. No. Like, we've got to find a way of opening this up. Um, yeah. and you know, so, you know, I, I'd met Ian, we started working together. I had like, that's, you know, that's this Ian idea Griffiths, for what, right? It's Ian, Ian Griffiths. Griffiths. Yeah. 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 Australian bartender over in London. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, one of, one of many Australians that, you know, made an indelible mark on, on the Lion Company, you know, it was, uh, amazing having a lot of Aussies come through. Yeah. They, it, it, I suppose we'll probably circle around to that point in a bit because yeah. it's, yeah, it's, it's remained one of those. Uh, kind of like hospitality cultures that was a big influence on on the way that we worked. Um, But, you know, we that kind of all pointed to White Lion. There was things that I wanted to address from a creative angle, from a sustainability angle, from a Mm. professionalism. But really, we just wanted to create a bar that felt like it could be for the every person. You know, we we took away all the bar. Everybody talks about the fact there was like no ice, no citrus, no brands. But, you know, that was a mechanism. The whole point was to go, okay, how do we spend time? How do we use our experience? Like, you know, the, everybody, you know, we had people that came in from um, like big pub groups who were like, oh, amazing. This is great. It means you can just have like robot staff serving the drinks. And I was like, no, no. man, it's the opposite. We have like one of the most experienced teams in the world. And yeah. they're there to be able to use that expertise to look after people. That's what the point of the bar is, not a mechanical way of producing drinks. Mm. It was kind of going, well, let's take away the barriers of of speed, of cost, of like, you know, the blindness that can come from a, a back bar if you're not used to our world. Yeah. Um, and, and it was a ton of fun. You know, we threw, threw parties in that bar. It wasn't, <laughs> you know, like it was like a, a serious cocktail bar. 
Um, yeah. It was very much about having something that felt very relaxed. Yeah, this is at a time where it was like you had to stir a martini a certain way or a certain number of times and yeah. the most convoluted way for making a Sazerac possible, everyone's like, well, that's just how you have to do it. But actually, 100%. no, there were different ways to do these things. But I mean, talking about White Lion and Dandelion, these are two, two yeah. bars that got worldwide recognition and two bars I very much enjoyed. Uh, but they're two bars that a few years into each of their lives, having won all the accolades, uh, you decided to take out the back and put a couple of bullets through their head. So my question to you is, why do you kill the bars that I like? <laughs> it's not personal, Sam, but it's, um, it's uh, yeah, it's, it, it's funny because, you know, with both of those venues and they were both born out of White Lion, you know, White Lion as an idea came about and inevitably we kind of went, well, if we're controlling everything in this venue, we're not talking about the fact that there is a whole other side of things that's also not being explored in the drinks world. You know, there was a, a very formulaic approach. It was, as you say, this is the way that it had to be done. These are the ingredients you have to use. Mm. And, you know, yes, of course, venues were different and they had their own spins of things, but it started to feel quite homogenous in terms of what a drinks output would look like. And yeah. so they kind of became sister venues. And a lot of the things that we've tried to do with the venues is, is trying to address something, kick off a discussion that, you know, we, I love this industry and it's always been something I wanted to see kind of grow and for us to kind of go, actually, it could be a lot more than we're currently looking at. It could be wider. We can have more people kind of like working in it than currently seem to attract. Yeah. Um, you know, we can start to work in different fringes that, you know, apparently doesn't kind of become a boundary with food and drink, but absolutely could. So, mm. you know, we, we had these venues that poked the bear a bit, you know, we weren't doing it. Everybody saw it as a sticking a middle finger up to people, but it, it wasn't, it was trying to go, look, there are, there are other ways of doing stuff. Yeah. And, you know, with, with Dandelion, we delved into the, the kind of mad varieties of nature and kind of went that can be an inspiration for us to, to look at things differently. It doesn't mm. have to be, you know, sugar or lemons and limes and the, the, the usual stuff that forms yeah. the backbone of our, of our cocktails. Um, yeah. But because we were trying to challenge something, they were, I, I kind of described them as being quite pointy. Like the things that they covered, like were designed to, to kind of pro not provoke, that sounds too strong, but they were yeah. there to, to kind of encourage a discussion. And that yeah. inevitably meant, you know, it wasn't planned like this, but it just meant that as soon as they started to succeed, the things that, you know, we were called heretic when we first started. And then like four years in of White Lion, people were like, oh yeah, that's totally normal. Yeah, and that's how like, things are done now. Yeah. 100%, yeah. And it kind of, you know, that was a big surprise to us. You know, there hadn't been a lot of change in a while. And then mm. all of a sudden there's like people going, you know, from day one going i can't believe you're ruining cocktails this is like the death of it all and you've taken away the theater the magic can't believe you yeah. bottled a cocktail to i think year two i judged 50 bottle cocktail competitions around the world and it became wow. part of like you know every like dive bar to five star establishment and not saying that we were the only ones kind of pushing that conversation but it became yeah. normal and the same thing with dandelion but the thing that kind of frustrated me was people ended up accepting the, the surface bits of it. Okay, you bottle a cocktail or you use these types of garnish or you do these storytelling mechanisms or your menu looks like this. And I was like, you know, that's not the interesting part, right? Like that's just the, like the, the fluff on top of like the, the work behind it. And I was, mm. I was kind of a bit like surprised that that was the, the lessons that people took away from those venues. Right. So we were like, well, they've succeeded. If that's what the, the takeaways are, 
we have to kill them. Like it's to me, it just seemed vanity if we were just gonna like carry them on. So yeah, as yeah, you put it like two bullets in the head, and it was go <laughs> right. Let's 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 build a successor to these. And like mm. Cub was the logical successor to to lion uh, to White Lion, and it mm. like it wasn't like it threw everything out. It was kind of yeah. going, you know, what are the bits about this? What are the bits that people have missed that we think are still relevant and important? Or, yeah. you know, what are the bits that, you know, when we started with White Lion, it, it had no, like, physical waste. But, you know, we had, like, the human labor was enormous. It was a really tough thing to, to operate. And, you know, we we didn't really, we yes, we were making our own booze, we were making our own water, all this weird stuff. But we weren't able to, to kind of go back in the chain and have a positive effect. You know, okay. we were able to do things in a in a way that, yeah, fine, we didn't have any output, but we didn't have any control of upstream as well. Mm. Partly because we weren't using any perishables, but also because it just wasn't part of that bar's model. So yeah. Cub became about expanding that story, about looking at, again, still the alternative ways of working, um, yeah. but really started to open it out. And the same thing with Dandelion into Lioness. It, we gave it more freedom to carry on important conversations. So yeah. hopefully all the new bars we've set up in a way that don't require being culled, but, um, you know, at well, the I'm same s- time, it, Sorry, go I was going to say, you know, if, if anything felt like it was no longer relevant, I just, I, I wouldn't have any hesitations around, <laughs> yeah, killing it off again. <laughs> well, so the interesting thing about this to me is, like the yardstick in the bar industry for what makes a great bar. We, we talk about institutions, bars that stick around forever. And I think yeah. one of the things I want to ask you about is, do you think that's in the day and age that we live in, in this internet, internet and social media kind of age, do you think things can live forever anymore? Uh, like our attention spans, are we geared to that anymore? Yeah. Or do you need I, to do I mean, this kind I've- of reinvention? I think things can live forever if, you know, some of the venues that we reference in that way that, are timeless is because they don't actually everybody harks on about like you know the drinks that they've done but they've actually updated you know right. they they aren't just static they're not making drinks from the 1900s like yeah. and you know that's the thing that people fetishize and actually when you look at them they've been able to remain timeless because they've also evolved and mm. you know I do believe that venues can kind of have that that longevity to them I think there's longevity in in the role as well if you evolve it right if you try and hammer it to a moment in time you are dooming it like it 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 can't work like that but i do think that there is you know there's new venues coming out and you look at some of the you know australia's got its its kind of own set of 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 bars that are pushing close to two decades you've got like bramble it's obviously really important to me and it's you know now getting close to that mark as well yeah um you know Ruby in Copenhagen, I'm trying to think of other bars that are like pushing on this period, but you know, and there's yeah. there's also ones that are like they feel like they're setting it up for that future. You know, if you take yeah. Attaboy in, in New York, you know, yeah. Sammy and Mickey took the legacy of, of of Milk and Honey, they made it their own thing. It was an evolution of that bar, but it's yeah. not like they're being static either. You know, it's a bar yeah. that continues to evolve. The people they bring in, they're making sure that it stays relevant rather than just going we're going to fetishize this period of, of, of drinks history and just hope that it like carries on in that way. Okay. Well, so then why, why do you feel the need to go, actually we're going to change the name and the concept <laughs> and, you know, cause I mean, there's, there is evolution in a bar, right? You live yeah. in a bar, you breathe, it grows and all that kind of thing. 
But you seem to have this penchant for like going, okay, well, let's yeah. do something different now. Yeah, I think- And that's, that's hard to do because a bar still needs to be a business, right? It still needs, you can be sure. creative and all that kind of thing, but it still needs to be a business. And once you've invested all that kind of money and time and human labor hours into making this, yeah. you know, world, world-renowned bars, world-beating bars, you just kind of throw that to the side. I find that very, very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of things. First is, it's it, we, there was also part of our own youth in that. Like the first two venues were much more punk, and I don't yeah. think we had really considered what it meant from a business point of view. They were successful <laughs> businesses, but I remember the it was such a logical thing in my head. Like I remember, and actually Ian and I had it almost concurrently, and I was like, we we have to kill Dandelion. And um, I, uh, I, I was, I'd gone through all of the thought process and, you know, we spoke with Alex about it and, you know, he, he eventually started to kind of like, apart from the shock, started to like understand the, 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 the reasoning that we were giving. Yeah. But I'd gone, like, it was just so complete for me. It was logical. It was easy. And so when I went and told the team, I, I told them with a big smile on my face and like, it was a joke. <laughs> And that I remember it was a really big point for me because I realized how inconsiderate I'd been. You know, this is it was theirs. It wasn't mine to kill. I had to take them on that journey and everybody understood it eventually. But I was flippant with their feelings. And that that was something that was my immaturity. Um, Mm. You know, I wasn't like I, I hadn't gone through the, the, the kind of full thought process of of what the, the consequences of that were. And, you know, I. I think that's something that we've we've learned a lot from is going you this is you know the thing that I feel most responsible for yes of course I care about hopefully trying to build things up for our industry as a whole but I'm responsible mm. for for my team and yeah. you know that that to me is the, the 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 crucial thing I've got to consider now is you know when we do make these changes is it does it do things for the best for them now yeah. part of that is also you know you join the company because you want to do things differently so it's it's crucial that we don't stay static, but that doesn't mean that needs to be turmoil and upheaval for them. So you know, <laughs> sure. we're, we're trying to do it in a way that we can give the venues enough space to evolve, but yeah. it's not as like drastic each time yeah. that we want to want to do something as a change. Yeah, at least they don't read about it in the newspaper first, you know. <laughs> um, you talking about white line? Yeah, and for sure. Gender line, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you mentioned before that, you know, yes, white line was, you know, no citrus and all that sort of stuff, but actually it's about how you, the, the time yeah. that you're going to have in the bar, the experience. And what I've always noticed with your places is they feel good. You have a fun time. Yes, there's a concept to the, the menus and all that kind of thing, but it's not, you know, you're not, you're not sitting mm-hmm. down there revering the drinks over everything else. You're actually having a good time. Lioness, for, it, for me, is a perfect sure. example of that. And I think those bars kind of kickstarted that whole, well, not just your bars, but it was coming around a time where there was a turn to hospitality. Um, yeah. But now everyone's saying, you know, the hospitality first, the drinks are second, all that kind of thing. But it's such a hard term to nail down. So I'm wondering, how do you guys look at hospitality and and how it means not just to you, but to the public? And, you know, what does that term mean to you now? Yeah, I, I, it's a really good question because you're right. It's become almost a statement that people like bandy around in the industry. Everybody knows Mm. it's the case, but what does it mean in practice? And 
I think, you know, you, you can talk about balance and you can talk about, we always talk to the team about how they've got to use everything in their toolbox and the drinks are part of that, but the lighting, the music, how do you bring that all together? And again, like that can sound very obvious and it can sound very mm. like, uh, it can sound very basic. I, I think really there's actually a, a huge amount of, of skill to that. And when you see people nail that kind of coordination, it's, it is where some of that magic comes from. Yeah. But I think it's also about, it, it starts before you hit the venue. It's about like, you know, to me, and I'm going to use a, a food term for it, but I think it, it, it kind of comes through to the emotion of hospitality as well. But like deliciousness and that idea of being excited by something like mm. is is about the unexpected, but it can't yeah. be a completely like uh, discordant with everything else. It's the Overton window, right? There's there's bounds in, in terms that you can push things, but it still needs to be something that people recognize. I, I don't actually know that term, but yes, exactly that sentiment. <laughs> But it's uh, like, you know, we, we tee it up. We know that we're, you know, the way that we create our brands, the branding, the communications that we do, we tee it up that you're coming in for something different. You're not coming mm. in to like, yes, of course, we'll get you a beer and we'll look after those things, but you're coming in with a certain like knowledge about what the experience is going to be like. And then it's just about like a sensitivity from there. It's about okay. going, you know, some people want to be taken out from their comfort zone and they need to feel like they can trust us to be able to go on that journey. But it's some people also like use our spaces as just like, it, it's almost like a, I, you know, I describe pubs as being the church for the non-religious. And I think <laughs> there is an aspect of that that we've we've tried to, to kind of retain. And yeah, like, you know, Lioness is a grand venue. Silver's a grand venue. It's not something that feels like as like easy as going into a pub but we yeah. want to be able to bring the actual ease of experience like you would get as going into a pub so mm. it's like that sensitivity of going you know I, I mean to me the golden rule of hospitality is it's not about you it's about if you treat people as an individual so mm. how do you treat that person as an individual and understand what they need and some of that's hands-on some of that's hands-off and that's where like you know, we spend the most of our time training is is getting the team to be themselves. So they're not being robotic in that situation, but they've yeah. got the sensitivity to try and understand what that individual needs. And, you know, it's we're, we're very fortunate that we've been able to set the business up in a way that it's like, you know, they've got a lot of playground around how they then achieve that. They don't have the same, you know, we're not heavy on them in terms of like a, a, a financial, like, um, like attachment to each guest or anything like that. There's nothing that's like guiding them from a business point of view, except the idea of like, are you treating them as an individual? Are you doing what they need in that moment? If it's a glass of water and a bowl of nuts, that's fine as, as much as it is as somebody who's dropping, you know, like a ton of money having the whole menu. Like it's, sure. it's, it's about trying to like really be sensitive to that individual needs. And the richness of your question is, that it's not an easy answer. Like mm. the the idea of what creates that hospitality is is not something that is easy to kind of package up, and it's not something that can just be applied across the board because each yeah. venue has its own tee up. It's got its own expectation for a guest coming in. You've got to yeah. then kind of morph it appropriately. But I think you know that's really been the journey that we've been going on for the last ten years is is trying to find ways to empower our team to be able to do that more. And is that a thing that you 
do you think you can kind of teach that sort of style of hospitality or is it something that's innate? Because, I mean, I ask this with bartenders and you know bar managers and owners all the time. And a lot of the time they'll be like, well, we just hire for that, right? Mm-hmm. But then again, it's like, okay, yeah, but what, do, what is that? What is the thing? Yeah, I, It's like, you I, know I, it when I, you see it kind of thing. Yeah, and I, I think there was a, an ability to, to take some of that, you know, intuition in the past. You'd get a feeling for people because there was enough other training going on in the industry that was enough people coming in that you right. could differentiate between a couple of individuals who had that, that kind of care and who didn't. But mm. actually, we need to think about it differently now because the number of people entering the industry are different. The, the experience tracking is different. And also, we want to open up to people who are green to that. They don't yeah. have that. So they won't automatically have it. You need to find a way of kind of nurturing it out of them. And I think yeah. there is some people have that care and some people don't. I mean, the people who get bitten by this industry have a propensity towards that sense of care. So mm. I think you can be like fairly kind of um, like tuned to the fact that most people coming into the industry will have the ability to be trained up into that space. Yeah. Um, but how we kind of, you know, as much as it is about treating the individual guests the same way, you've got to treat the individual team member the same. So you can't have blanket training. And yeah. that's a very hard thing to kind of work out in our industry. You know, we we're still in that kind of like early stage where we don't have the same resources as, well, a lot of other real businesses, I suppose. But we, uh, real like, you know, you, you, you're trying to find a way to, to kind of make that work with like a much more limited set, you know, the hours, everything make it slightly more difficult. Um, yeah. But it is the right challenge. That's the thing that we should be pouring our energies into is how do we, you know, get a, like an, another generation of, 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 of kind of bartenders who come from a much wider set, from a much mm. kind of like more diverse kind of like background of things. How do we get them to be the the kind of like next bastions of hospitality that we want there to be? Yeah, this is, I'm gonna lead on to this question now because of what you just brought up. Where do you think the next kind of big paradigm shift is gonna come from? How, as you were saying with White Lion, that was kind of a reaction to what was going on before. But nowadays, yeah. like there's a lot of drinks that are coming on block ice and like elegant, clean line glassware. A lot of things are clarified. A lot of things are carbonated yeah. and batched and, and ready to go. And the, like, it's starting to look a little bit the same again. It is. Indeed. Where do you think the yeah. next next bit of explosion of creativity might come from? Diversity. It's gonna come yeah. from different backgrounds. I think you've all, I, you know, I, I spoke about this a couple of times recently. I did. It was just before the pandemic. I was I was lucky enough to drop across to Singapore and then to Sydney, and I came back and I told everybody about Native and yeah. Catina Roquet, because yeah. you know I was all of a sudden I was exposed to ingredients and flavors I hadn't tried before. So as right. a result of that, they didn't follow the same like formula. I couldn't create an analog like uh, description to them because they didn't relate to anything I knew. And all of a sudden you had something, I was like, this is exciting because it's not the same as everything else. And this is what we need to be embracing. You know, it's great to see like, you know, other markets starting to get attention now, but you know, Japan, Mexico and and Australia have always stood out to me for having some of the most mind blowing ingredients in the world. That's partly Mm. due to their culture and the way that they preserve things from the past. But it's also yeah. because they're not things that I've experienced. 
And okay. that's the case for a lot of the, you know, the, a lot of the cocktail world is guided by Western ingredients, Western approaches. So yeah. the more that we can kind of start to step out that, and it's not about then transporting that or, or appropriating it. Obviously that's the, that will be the worst part of it, but it's about yeah. like, you know, it should be about that, like teaching, you know, the more that we can then start to cross over and grow, you know, we can exchange those ideas and, you know, it will spur something in somebody else and we'll end up having something that doesn't resemble those like, you know, 10 classic cocktails that we all drink all the time. And it's not that that then replaces it, but it means that we have a much wider palette and, you know, that causes the next shift. So, I mean, partly it's, it's ingredient based to me, but the main thing to me is, is knowledge. It'll be about like the sharing of knowledge. And I think the, the thing that we've all been arrogant about in the past, we, we've kept that very small. It's like, Oh, you know, bartenders and chefs start exchanging knowledge and that's going to be the the next wave of things. Bartenders and chefs are exactly the same people. They <laughs> drink the same, they eat the same, they use the same ingredients. They just, yeah. one puts it in a dish, one puts it in a glass. Like sure. I'm kind of fed up of this idea that we've got to learn from chefs and, you know, the idea that that's only a, a kind of unilateral idea. It's, it's also the fact that it's the same thing. We work in the same venues, we do the same work. What's exciting is going outside of that set of people. Yes, of course, it will mean also chefs and bartenders, but from different places and from different backgrounds and who have like developed different techniques. You know, I remember when I was traveling to to visit some family in Sri Lanka and, you know, there was a lot of the food was cooked in like earthenware pots over fire and you know, the bartenders had adopted some of those things because, again, food and drink are the same. So it's just sure. like it flowed in. And even things that, like, I could recognize and I could call it a Collins or like, a, you know, a daiquiri, they yeah. had totally different profiles. And, you know, all of a sudden I was like, wow, why have I not thought about any of those, like, other, like, you know, we will use the same kind of techniques to heat and cook and reduce and do those things. Yeah. But, there is a ton of other methods out there. Like yeah. the ingredients we use, the techniques, the knowledge that will come from as we start to share things will be where the industry starts to get really exciting. So how, how what would your advice be to bartenders wanting to look outside of their own sort of, um, I guess, cultural kind of confines and uh, from other experiences in the world? What would your advice be to them trying to expand their range of creativity but without going down the route of appropriation or yeah. doing it the wrong way, you know? Like, yeah, how, I mean, how, how, how do you approach that kind of thing? I think there's there's obviously a huge amount of inspiration that comes from from travel, but that's a, that's a luxury thing. That's not something yeah. that everybody is, is fortunate enough to do. But the beauty of the internet is it connects the whole world. And, mm. you know, the thing that I always talk to our team about is, like pe- people are so willing to help. You know, it's it's one of those lessons that I wish I knew when I was much younger is how much people really want to help. And, you know, you it, it's not just about talking to bartenders. Like we've, we've worked with, you know, material scientists, microbiologists, like yeah. all sorts of people that like, you, in, in one sense, you're like, why would they talk to us? You know, why, why is this person at Harvard gonna give us their time? But the, the key point I always say to the team is, don't ask somebody to do your homework. If you're asking yeah. them to just tell you all of the things that they've spent a life, life, lifetime researching or building up as a knowledge set, that's just rude. 
if you're asking them to to kind of help you though and you're coming you're like oh i tried all these things i know you've been exploring this like you treat them like an individual and yeah. like you know you you have this amazing knowledge share that happens and as long as it feels like it's fair like you're not just like taking all their stuff and that that's where it comes into appropriation if you yeah. are like you know genuinely sharing and and learning and exchanging then you, yeah. you just end up going, kind of going, you know, I th think some of the, the most exciting work that we've done has come from those type of conversations. And, you know, I feel, feel very fortunate we've been able to, to kind of collaborate with, with all of those different styles of, of, of knowledge because we, we, we've tried to do it in a fair way. And I think that's what's allowed yeah. us to be able to explore those type of work. Yeah, uh, on, the, on the door at Ramblin' Rascal Tavern in Sydney, as I'm sure you're aware of the bar and have been there before, uh, <laughs> on the door there, they've got a sign that says, don't be a dick. And I think that's probably a very good rule for living. I, I think that's a, also a, a great insight into Charlie Lehman anyway. It sounds like it's, <laughs> you take it on the surface and you're like, it's just pokey. And then there's actually a lot more, like there's, there's a lot of consideration, a lot of sensitivity underneath it. And, mm. you know, I think it is like it's a succinct term but it's also got a lot of like uh it's got a lot of gravity to it right like it's it is that like don't be a dick it's like that's a mantra to live by <laughs> there you go charlie Lehman. you've got gravity uh yeah <laughs> all right so so i'm conscious of your time and we've spoken for half an hour already but I did want to ask you, what is it that you look for? I normally would ask, what do you look for in a great bar? But I want to ask you, what do you look for in a great bar experience? Um, uh, so one of my favorite things to do when I go out, I mean, I do this in a restaurant all the time where I'm just like, we'll take it. And I'm just like, all the whole menu kind of thing. But it's um, <laughs> it's to be guided. Like I, I want to buy into like the people who create it, I want to buy into their experience. So I want right. to buy into the things that they want to show me. Like, you know, there's a handful of things that I don't like in terms of like flavors and stuff like that. And, you know, aside from that, I'm like, like shape it. Like this is your space. I'm like a passenger and being able to experience this, like, you mm -hmm. know, and you do look for that sensitivity, you, like depending on who you're catching up with, you know, are they dominating your time or are they allowing that experience to happen? Or sometimes you're in the bar solo and you want to just go like deep dive into it and you want to yeah. be kind of like hosting and guided. And I think, you know, those to me are the things that I, I look for. Is it, does it feel, and it's such an overused word for it, but like authentic, does it feel like that team, those people are like doing something that they love? Are they doing mm. something that they care about and do they want to show you it? Um, you know, you, sometimes the, you know, the experiences that fall down feel like they're forcing, you know, they think that you want to be able to have a certain thing or they're forcing mm. you to, you know, oh, these are the, you know, the, I like, I don't know, the, the new in vogue style of drinks, or this is the method we have to use. So I'm going to put it in front of you and, 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 and that's going to show that we're on trend. And it's like, <laughs> just do what you want to do. Like, and then, you know, that feels way more exciting. Um, yeah then having another cookie cutter version of a, I don't know, smoked cocktail. Um, <laughs> or beeswax yeah, cocktail. Just, I, yeah. <laughs> Funnily enough, I'm still super excited by those. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, you know, you did good there. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I do want to ask you one more question just because I love yeah. 
the menu at um, Lioness, I know it was like in the last days of that menu. I think it's now changed since I was there, what, a week and a half ago. But what, what do you look for in a great cocktail menu? Because I love these things. They're like beautiful artifacts of a bar. And I think the best yeah. ones speak to like the bar's place. What do you look yes. for? I, I think you, you kind of nailed it with that, that term. It's got to speak to the bar and that obviously includes the team, but that space, you know, it's, I think there became a thing where, and uh, you know, we have to hold our hands up as part of the blame in this, but like, you know, they became these like big storytelling pieces and they had this concept around them and it started to become very homogenous in that. Like each yeah. one would come out and it would be like, this is our piece and like, this is the story. And like, some of those were, were incredible, but sometimes they were like, but this doesn't fit your venue. You, it feels like you, you feel like you're being forced to do that. Whereas, mm. you know, sometimes you want a list of drinks. Sometimes you yeah. want something that's full storytelling because it, all of those things, when they're right, reinforce the venue and they reinforce yeah. the style of service. Like, Everybody, like, I, I remember moaning about going to a, a pub and, like, there being this disaster of a cocktail list. And I got, like, some people were like, well, that's because you kind of see cocktails as existing in, like, a cocktail bar. And I was like, no, I, I'm not precious about cocktails at all. I think a gin and tonic's a cocktail. I think serving a glass of wine in the right glass and temperature is a cocktail. To yeah. me, it was the problem that they were, like, running around... Like it wasn't set up for them. It just made them have a bad experience, made the guests have a bad experience. It didn't fit together. Like serve highballs in a pub, it's perfect for that situation. Like making a mojito is a disaster in that like setup. And it's the same <laughs> thing sometimes with those menus. Like you see a team who's a high volume bar and they wanna pump out drinks and they're being forced to like try and do this storytelling piece at the side of the table. Yeah. And it just, you, you can see it start to like, it just feels disjointed with the actual experience. Whereas yeah. the ones that like managed to tee it up and like, and that's not to say that like the storytelling menus are for five star settings that can do that. It's not about that at all. It's about whether it like feels connected to the bar and, and the experience that it, it tries to bring to life. So yeah. again, it's about, um, does it feel like a genuine output of passion? That's to me where those menus become most exciting. And again, sometimes that's a list. Sometimes it's a beautiful book. It's not like like one wins over the other. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap this up, Ryan. Um, <laughs> anything else you'd like to talk about? Because we could do this for hours. <laughs> oh, 100%. I, I mean, obviously to the audience, I think it is, you know, there's there's a couple of like cultures around the world that I think manage to like really bring to life like a scene of hospitality um mm. i think the the kind of you know the irish and the the, the scots do it amazingly because they are natural storytellers yeah. and you know you get that amazing experience i i always used to talk about the fact that you get a better like hospitality experience in a scottish nightclub than some <laughs> five-star hotels like because you know they it's so genuine and it's so warm and it all fits together in a in a way that feels right um and you know australia mexico like there is a couple of those as well and i think that's a lesson to a lot of us is going you know it doesn't matter if you're in a pub in australia or in like the one of the hotel bars or one of the kind of indie bars like they they manage to bridge all of the facts that make a great venue 
and mm. it's it's about the care and the hospitality it's the right kind of product it's the right kind of setting it all feels sound as a principle and i think yeah. that's um you know that, that that's a you know it, it, there's a reason why we've hired from a lot of those cultures and we kind of go back to those places to to kind of feel most at home because i think they 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 tap into the things that i think are most important about a hospitality venue be it a pub a restaurant cafe and nightclub it's it's about bringing all of the elements together so yeah i think we you know everybody thinks that there has to be like you take inspiration from the fanciful places but i think mm. it's it's also about looking into the things that feel very very everyday because they're everyday for a good reason yeah so can i uh ensure it from that they're going to open a bar in australia anytime soon Oh man, I remember when Ian and I were chatting first about like doing a international venue. It's like, where would you, you know, if you could do Dream Bar anywhere in the world first? So I, I said Australia. Yeah. Produce is amazing. The the hospitality scene's amazing. Guests engage with it. It's uh, you know, you've got an amazing media that s- supports it. It's uh, yeah, it's a, it would always be a, a a dream to open a venue in Oz. Okay, well, <laughs> let me know. We'll we'll do the story. Okay, well, thank you so much for talking to me, Ryan. I appreciate your time. Um, I hope to see you soon. For sure. Thanks so much, buddy. Thanks to Ryan again for the chat and thank you to you for listening. If you're enjoying these podcasts, please share them with a friend and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or wherever you get yours. I really do appreciate your support. And also a reminder again that the Boothby Drink of the Year Awards are open for entries right now. Visit boothby.com.au slash drink of the year to learn more. Until next time, this has been Drinks at Work from Boothby.